Welcome to Piecemeal, a podcast hosted by the Emily Program, where we put it all together for you. Piecemeal discusses topics related to eating disorders, body image issues, and how society may contribute to distorted thinking. Please keep in mind that we may discuss difficult topics and that we ask you to use your own discretion when listening or that you speak with a therapist as needed. I'm your host, Jillian Lambert, and today's episode is one in our recovery series where we feature voices of those in eating disorder recovery. Joining us today is Olivia McNeil. Olivia is a youth group leader who also works part-time in retail. She lives and works in beautiful Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. She enjoys going for hikes, spending time with her husband, and weightlifting. She's passionate about helping and supporting others with their mental health journeys and spreading awareness about eating disorders. Olivia, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about your recovery story. Yeah, of course. Tell us a little bit about your eating disorder. What was your life like before you developed the eating disorder, as it was developing? And then what what thoughts and behaviors did you experience while in the midst of it? Yeah. Growing up, I had a really great childhood. There was nothing super traumatic that stands out to me. Everybody has family issues and my parents were divorced. So I think that that might have played a little bit of role in, of just like the stress of home life as a kid. Um, my mom had an eating disorder when she was younger that I actually didn't even find out about until I was older. But she kind of had some disordered eating habits that I think I caught on to as a kid. I just really strived to be the best at everything. And I joined sports at a young age. And I didn't have a lot of friends either. I kind of was bullied all throughout school. But I really didn't think much of it. I honestly remember having like a really happy childhood. But then as I got older, and I got into high school was really when like things started to shift. I really started struggling with like, depression and anxiety. And I started to develop some stress around food, which I think honestly stemmed from taking a health class. I just remember my health teacher constantly talking about like clean eating, stuff like that. And my brain just like grabbed onto that. I started developing kind of bad habits with food as far as wanting to eat perfectly. And we didn't have a lot of money growing up because we were like a family of five. And so my mom, I just remember my mom would always make like casseroles because they were really easy. And I remember I started like not wanting to eat those because to me, they weren't like clean enough or however you want to say that. I was also doing sports at the time. So in my mind, I thought if I stop eating like this and I continue to do sports, then I'll lose weight and I'll get faster and stronger. So at that point, I really started to develop orthorexia. And my teammates were bullying me pretty badly at the time and telling me that I wasn't good enough to be playing with them and telling me that I didn't look good enough, like I didn't have that muscular build like you kind of think of athletes having, even though that's totally not true. <laughs> so at that point, I was like, well, if they don't like me, maybe they'll like me if I become stronger or better at this sport. So that's really when I started to like, I, I was working out way too much. And I was obsessed with the clean eating and it just spiraled out of control very quickly. It strikes me when I when I listen to your story how how it really illustrates what we know about how and why people get eating disorders. I mean you have this genetic component. We would see, you know, we see in lots of 
lots of people with eating disorders. There's some pretty strong genetic components to it. So if your mom had an eating disorder, and then we think about the environmental parts, you know, we know that bullying has a has a huge impact on people's sense of self and their sense of, of self as it relates to their body. And that often comes out in eating, particularly if the bullying has anything to do with performance or or body or weight or anything like that. So you had some of that bullying that uh, all of that sort of came together at a point in time when biologically we know that people are at highest risk for eating disorder development as we go through puberty and start to be in the, the throes of adolescence. You take some genetics and some environmental impacts and out of that, some people get eating disorders. It just really strikes me that that your story illustrates what we what we know from the science so clearly. And and I think that's that's interesting for lots of reasons. One thing that strikes me is that, you know, you could easily feel bad about that or feel like it was, you know, maybe if your parents hadn't gotten divorced or if there would have been more finances or you wouldn't have been bullied. Like you could think like, oh, maybe if this just wouldn't have happened, I, I wouldn't have gotten an eating disorder. But, but maybe it's just that you you had the the risk factors and that's how these things happen. It's really striking to me how your story sort of fits with that. The good news, hopefully, is that, you know, for, for people that that happens to, which is, is so common, there's a number of things we can can do about it, right? I, I'm really struck by your your teacher's comments about eating, like the idea of what we say to kids and to people about food, right? Gosh, there's so much there. I kind of wish that schools would, I guess, get into contact with registered dietitians that are currently in practice, because I feel like Every registered dietitian that I've ever talked to always, always says that all foods fit into a healthy diet, that everybody can enjoy dessert type foods and everybody can eat carbs and proteins and fat and be perfectly healthy. But I feel like health teachers in high school, at least at the high school I went to, did not really know. And I even remember him showing this film on this girl with an eating disorder and the film, I think he was trying to get the point across that eating disorders aren't healthy, but the film that he decided to show kind of in a way glorified the eating disorder. For sure. And and I, I am always struck by those those films. Like by showing you the film, did he did he imagine and maybe he did because I think it's easy to think that way. Like if I just show you this film, then you guys will decide not to have an eating disorder. And we know that, you know, people don't decide to get an eating disorder and they don't decide to, you know, wake up one morning and get a life-threatening illness. It's just not how it works. No, it's not. I also should tell you, Olivia, I am a dietitian, so I am 100% with you. That's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) That's fantastic. Tell us a little bit about like, okay, so now you're in the throes of it. What about seeking help? Like, tell us about what that was like to, to... be in that space? How did you decide it was it was the right time and place? Did anyone help you with that? Was that a, a difficult time for you? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, um, I actually had a lot of help when I finally decided to get help. I was in denial for a really long time that there was anything wrong with me. Um, like I said, it started out as more of orthorexia. So like, obsessive exercise and the eating clean culture and all of that. And when I looked in the mirror, the body dysmorphia was so strong that I really could not see how sick I was getting. And my family members really started 
approaching me with different like news articles and stuff like that. Like, I think you might have this. They were gentle and loving about it. They definitely weren't like overbearing in any way. I just didn't want to hear it. So I, I was just like, no, I don't have that. Like, I'm athletic. I'm just doing what's good for me. Like, you're just jealous because I'm looking better or whatever. Like, that's kind of the way my brain processed it at the time. And my mom had started doing research before I even knew that she was doing research on different like treatment programs and stuff like that, trying to decide which one would be best for me. But I was also at an age where I could make my own decision. So my mom came to me and she had discovered the Emily program in Spokane. And she was like, I really think that you should get into this. This is not healthy for you anymore. And I'm really genuinely worried about like your life. And I was like, no, I don't need that. I'm not ready for any help. I don't even need help. And then there was a day at school when I was really, really in the depths of my eating disorder. I had actually dropped all of my electives so that I could go to the gym and work out during those periods, which looking back is just so crazy like that. I cannot even believe that I did that to myself. But you know, you're not really logical when you're in that. And so I was in one of those free periods and I decided to not work out during that time because I was really tired and cold and weak. And I don't remember anything about that period. Like I just completely kind of like blacked out. I don't know exactly what happened, but I just remember after the period ended and I was on my way to the next class, I was like, I don't remember anything that just happened. And so I called my mom and I was like genuinely scared because it all started to like hit me that what I was doing was not healthy at all. And I called my mom and I was like, Mom, I'm really scared. I haven't been being honest with you about how much I'm eating and stuff like that. So I think I do want to get into the program. So she called and she set up an appointment, like an intake appointment for me. And then the weekend before my intake appointment, I actually went to a church service. I grew up in a Christian home. And I grew up going to church, but I kind of left all of that behind for a period of time. And when I went to this church service, I was like trying to worship with everybody. And I couldn't like my, I was so weak that I couldn't sing at all. Like my lungs genuinely hurt. It felt like I could not get enough air in my body. I kept like going in and out of like blacking out. And so I just like sat down and I started crying and I was like, this is so bad. Like what has my life come to? And personally on like a spiritual level, I accepted God again. And I think that that having that spiritual like relationship with God really helped me during that time to like face recovery. That was the point where I knew that that was what I needed to do. And I knew that if I wanted to live the rest of my life, the way that I'd always imagined I would live my life, then I needed to go through with recovery. Yeah, how powerful. I mean, that that vision of, of really seeing all that was being compromised in your life and how how separated you it sounds like you had become from your from your really core sense of self and who you were in the world and how you wanted to be, what relationships you wanted, how you wanted it to feel. That's really a, a, a powerful illustration of it and I think is happens so much from these illnesses that they, they just you know, part of it is malnutrition your brain cannot process when it's not being well fed and and it and it can be all different kinds of eating eating disorder behaviors that impact people like that right it's not just restricting your food intake but so many of them it's just really striking how how you had that 
those moments of like all the signs are pointing towards I should do something different, which is a beautiful thing that you were able to hear that. What was it like to um, to then walk into that appointment and start that process? Do you remember how you felt then? Obviously, I'm not going to share like specifics or anything like that. But at that point, I was so incredibly like underweight that I honestly just didn't have the energy to even like fight anything anymore. So they kind of were just like, this is what you're going to do. You need to take this intake evaluation test. We're going to take some vitals. And honestly, at that point, I was almost so relieved to have it taken away from me because I just was too weak to keep anything up anymore. All I wanted to do was just sleep. So to have the control taken away from me and just like, this is what you're going to do was honestly a huge relief. Yeah. Somebody else who understands how hard this is and how how bad it feels and how scary it is all at the same time. Hopefully that gave you that sense of like, I don't know. I don't know what's next, but I know it's not staying the direction I'm going. Yeah, they they really scared me in my evaluation appointment too because of how bad it was. They really told me, they were like, well, we can't really get you into the program until next week. So you're on bed rest until then because this is like life-threatening at this point. And I never thought to myself that I could die from it but it got to the point where it became very real to me that I actually could die from it and that really scared me because I never wanted that yeah it is it's so hard because so many of those eating disorder behaviors are behaviors that our culture supports like wow look at how hard Olivia is working at at activity and what a good job you're doing with your eating or whatever it is that I think that's Part of what makes it hard for people to realize that they're struggling with something and that it's an illness and that it deserves help and that it could be different. Even for friends and family to, to recognize and to, to, to know when, when it's not okay anymore, when it's, you know, when something's happening. Can you think of anything that you could give as advice to somebody, a loved one of somebody who maybe thinks their loved one is struggling and they don't quite know how to approach it and they're not sure what to say and they don't know if the person will hear it and they're worried. Any Anything that somebody said to you um, or that you would give to somebody who is asking for that for, for anybody who's listening concerned about a loved one they have, what advice do you have for them? This is a hard one because I think that my family handled it really well, but I was also in such denial and that's obviously something that that loved one can't really do anything about. But I think that when you know if somebody's struggling, it's important that you don't get like frustrated with them. I think it is important to continuously like check in on them and be like, I'm worried about you. I love you. Like, I don't want anything bad to happen to you. But this doesn't seem healthy. Obviously, my mom didn't have like a textbook that she could follow on how to handle this. But there was some times where she got like frustrated that I wouldn't listen to her. And I think that that frustration kind of pushed me away a little bit every now and then. So just be persistent, but in a very like loving and gentle way. And also let them know that like they don't have to go through it alone, that there's people that are gonna go through it with them and that you understand that it's a scary thing for them that you're going to be walking with them through it all. I think that that's important. Yeah, I think that's such a such an important theme that that when somebody has an eating disorder, so much of it feels like the right thing to be doing. Like 
somehow it feels like you're following the right rules. And then to have somebody come along and suggest that you're not is really hard to hear and hard to know, you know, well, how else could it be? So it is such a potentially fraught situation. So I, I totally hear the, how do you stay calm and reassuring and we're going to walk with you. This will, this, this will make sense. And, and I'm going to hang out there with you until it does. Yeah. How we're sort of switching, um, switching topics a little bit. How do you describe your recovery now? How does it, how does it feel? Wow. <laughs> it's the most freedom I felt in my entire life. And I really never imagined that I could get to the place that I'm at now in my recovery. Even after I got like weight restored and I was at a healthy weight, my brain wasn't at the same stage that my body was at, if that makes sense. It was like my body was recovered, but my brain was not anywhere near being recovered. And at that time, I had actually met my now husband. And I thought that I was in like a real recovery when I kind of wasn't. I was kind of like faking it a little bit and my body was healthy and my body was good, but I was really telling myself that I could hang on to some eating disorder habits and still be healthy when really that's not the case at all. (laughs) So I met my husband and we started like going out on dates and he's actually the one that like called it out. We would like go out to dinner and I wouldn't eat anything or I would only get salads or something like that. And I remember there was one day where he like took me out to get ice cream and I wouldn't get any. And then on the way home, he was like, I really want to date you, but it's really hard to date you if you don't like go out to eat with me or you don't like experience certain things with me. Mm. And I was like, I'm still missing out on a lot of things because my eating disorder rules are like keeping me from doing those things. I was still very rigid with like an exercise routine and a schedule of when I could eat and the types of foods I could eat. And him just like calling that out made me realize that I really wasn't free from my eating disorder. So at that point, I was like, okay, I really need to pursue like an actual real recovery in order to be free from this. And it took like two years of trial and error. I really struggled with like overeating because I had deprived myself of so long of like certain foods. And that was a really scary time, but honestly, it was, it was scary, but it was also really important in my total recovery because it taught me that my body is not going to change overnight from eating a cookie, you know, like you can eat all foods and they can all fit into your diet and you'll still be fine. And so now it's like so important to me that whenever I meet somebody that's like talking about dieting and stuff. Like to me, dieting, following those fad diets that are circulating around like diet culture and the fitness world and stuff like that, that's like the first step into an eating disorder from my point of view, from experience. And so I always try to tell people now about intuitive eating and how freeing it is to just like allow yourself to eat that cookie or that piece of cake while also eating apples and broccoli if you want eat whatever you want, just like listen to your body because your body is so smart. And I think that once I realized that everything changed and like the freedom that I got from that is just undescribable. Like I can literally, I can go out and travel with my husband and not have stress. I can go to birthday parties and not have stress. And I never thought that was something that I could ever have. That's really beautiful. It is. It strikes me also that as you describe it, it's so in line with like, of course you're 
your body wanted to do some overeating after being restricted for so long because it 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 kind of knows the score right it it knows what's happening and and you're absolutely right our bodies are super smart and if we let them you know there's tons of systems in our brain to help us know when we're hungry and when we're satisfied and between the cultural messages and the beliefs that culture tries to instill in us about how to follow those things or not it's really hard to keep on that path of this is what I need for me. This is what my body is telling me. This is what will work for me. And to not land in those traps that are set everywhere. Magically, our, our society tries to get us to magical, magically believe if we just follow the right way with this fad diet or some strange thing, it'll all work out. And funny how it just never seems to all work out. It really doesn't. And it's funny because when I was at my weight that like my team had themed as like a healthy weight for me. It was a healthy weight for me, but at the same time, it wasn't a high enough weight for my brain to function properly. So I think that that was still, that still kind of played into effect of holding on to like some rigid eating disorder behaviors. Because once I started like, once I started that overeating time of my life, I did put on weight and I did kind of overshoot my weight more than I had expected to. But eventually when I just kept eating intuitively, my weight bounced back out and my, I felt like my brain function was so much better. And it was just like, I could finally think through things clearly and logically. And now I've maintained that same weight for years. And I literally don't, I don't, I really don't struggle with like the food issues or exercise issues anymore. Yeah, and I and I imagine that if you if somebody would have, you know, come along while you were ill and said, you know, really you need to be this around this weight to really truly be better, you you might have been like, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember having that discussion with my dietitian and doctor and I was like there is no way I'm ever going to be okay at that weight and then I ended up overshooting that weight and I'm honestly happier than I ever was at any lower weight. So yeah. It's just crazy yeah. how that works. <laughs> it is. It's so funny. And it's so hard to, I mean, I, I, I've probably, you know, been that dietitian helping somebody to try to believe that that's true. And I know it sounds like so not true. It just sounds like the worst idea ever. We do have some of those worst idea ever's, us dietitians. Uh, but <laughs> in actuality, it's going to be okay. It's just really hard to trust that. Like, I get why it's so hard to trust it because it just feels so wrong. Yeah. You just got to hang in there, right? You got to give it time and, and really partner with your body and let it, let it find out that it's going to be okay. Exactly. How do you protect your recovery nowadays? Like, you know, there's this thing in the science of eating disorders where we, where, where I sort of sum it up, like you can recover. You don't need to have an eating disorder, but you're still going to have the same brain that you've had your whole life, which might be a little bit more anxious, a little bit more perfectionistic or a little bit more chaotic or a little bit more impulsive than the average person. That's your brain. It's a beautiful thing about who you are. And it needs some some good some good love and and you know care and feeding to make sure that it stays pointed the sort of the positive direction. What kinds of things do you do to protect your yourself? Yeah, so protecting my recovery is extremely important to me. My therapists and everything warned me that you constantly throughout your life need to protect your recovery because your brain just kind of has that thing that is going to lean 
you know, more towards that kind of eating disorder thinking. And so you constantly have to be on top of that. And I didn't really believe them. And so there was actually a period of time where I, I never actually relapsed, but I definitely think I got a little too close to that edge of almost getting into a relapse because I didn't really continuously try to protect my thinking, I guess you could say. And so nowadays, I feel like I'm constantly surrounded by like diet and exercise talk, especially because back in 2016, when I graduated high school, I thought that what I wanted to do was be like a personal fitness trainer. So I got certified in everything and people know that I have that knowledge. So a lot of times people come to me and want to tell me all about their certain diet that they're following or their strict exercise program. And they're not doing it to try to like say anything triggering to me. And I know that. But sometimes the things that they say, I'm like, dude, that is so unhealthy. (laughs) And you better be careful like who you're talking about that to because that could be extremely triggering. So I'm just kind of like surrounded by that. I feel like sometimes and I have some friends who I love dearly, but they're constantly trying out different diets and they think that what they're doing is best for them and nothing I say can convince them otherwise. So I just kind of have to let them do their thing. But it does take a lot of work to just kind of block out that noise. I kind of just like retreat back into my own brain. And I tell myself that what I'm doing is best for myself, that I've already been through something extremely scary and life threatening that had to do with dieting. And I never want to go back there ever again. And also, One of the biggest things that has helped me all throughout my recovery, even at the beginning, is telling myself facts about food and nutrition and stuff like that. Or if like the person at the dinner table is saying like, oh, yes, I'm avoiding carbs, then I'll immediately in my brain be like, it's not good to avoid carbs, like your body needs that energy, your brain needs that energy. And I'll just kind of like immediately start telling myself facts, like the truth. Yeah, I love it. I love that idea of this alternate little tape playing in your brain. That's like, here's the truth. This is reality. Just, just listen to this and let the other, <laughs> other stuff go. Come on. I think you have an inner dietitian in there, Olivia, that's telling you the truth. I like it. <laughs> I've done so much research on like nutrition and everything and all the signs of like, if you actually do legitimate research and you don't like listen to Instagram influencers <laughs> or like YouTubers, <laughs> if right. you actually look into the science, it's very clear that your body needs every type of macronutrient and that intuitive eating really is the best thing for you long term. So I think that once I once you start looking into that, it's easier to be able to tell yourself the truth. It's easier to be able to kind of separate yourself from that conversation and be like, okay, this is you know what the truth is. And you just kind of tell yourself that. Yeah. Yeah, it turns out when you when you live in that truth, it works out and things feel pretty good. So you get good reinforcements for uh, for trying that that approach. What about other any other techniques you use uh, just to sort of manage your you know your experience in life? Some people do yoga, some people do meditation. I'm curious about your you know how moving your body in the ways you like to helps you to connect with your your body and yourself and quiet your brain a little bit maybe or help you feel comfortable. What things work sort of work for you or, or are or sort of valuable practices for you? Yeah. So 
I know that a lot of people like do meditation and stuff and that works great for them. I don't, I don't really do that just because I've never found that super helpful. One thing that helps me with being a Christian and my relationship with God is just kind of like staying in the word and reminding myself of God's truth for me and the fact that he loves me unconditionally. And that's really all that matters is finding my identity in him. Um, as far as moving my body and exercise goes, I've really learned to listen to my body when it comes to exercise. Like before, it was always a really tricky subject for me because of the over-exercise issues in my past. But eventually, I got to a point where I was able to be like, I'm really tired today. I'm not going to work out. I'm really sore today. I'm not going to work out. And like listening to my body in that way almost created more of like a respect for my body because I was able to be like, okay, my body is really smart and it knows what it's doing. And when I go for runs or when I do weightlifting, I'm just like so in tune with my body that I don't know, it's almost created like this really deep respect for what my body's capable of. So it's no longer about like pushing myself to look a certain way. It's almost just like enjoying the feeling of moving my body because I'm capable of doing that. Yeah, it feels like a really a really strong grounding sort of groundedness you have in in how you want to be, how you want to live, how you want to treat your body, how you want to listen to to your body, how you want to listen to the 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 person that you want to be. Yeah. I think a core part of recovery for lots of people is finding that grounding and and you're right, it looks different to different people. Some people it's spirituality, some people it's meditation, some people it's painting some people it's making music whatever whatever it is and and obviously it can be multiple things it doesn't have to just be one one thing but really finding that place where you have peace with yourself and and who you are and and that that you know you being peaceful with yourself and your own the little corner of the world that's yours to tend is is really a theme that people often speak to is having a way to feel grounded and then connected to something larger than themselves. I hear those themes and what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. And the exercising, it's kind of funny because even though I did struggle with over-exercising, I really don't struggle with that anymore. So it's kind of funny that the thing that was so bad for me at one point is now like really good for me. Like even just a year ago, I had I was constantly very aware, like, am I over exercising? And you kind of have to make it a point for yourself that you're not going to allow yourself to get to that negative point. Yeah, that's really good self-awareness. And it, it, it speaks to what we were talking about earlier, that there's, you know, there's this fine sort of balance, right? That eating disorders aren't really about eating and moving, but they sure are when it comes to eating disorder behaviors that involve eating and moving, right? That you have to find a way to, you know, find your way. Each each of us have find our own way of walking the path that's right for us as it relates to those things because they, they don't, eating and moving don't go away in recovery. They're a really important part, as it turns out. How do you maintain health? It's an interesting sort of peculiarity about recovering from this illness versus some others. Yeah, it's a, it's a constant learning process and it's going to be different for everybody. Right, right. And different across the lifespan. I wonder if you've given any thought to, you know, your experience to date. And then as you look toward the future, things that you imagine evolving in your life, even just aging and, and body, you know, as bodies change over the age, as we age, um, when we decide that we're going to take up different activities or maybe children enter the picture or moving or traveling or all sorts of things, right? What kinds of things have you thought about 
for your future that you're kind of putting in your, hmm, I kind of got to think about that in recovery too. Yeah. So one of the things is I actually have this weird condition called Ehlers-Danlos, where basically the collagen in my body does not really function the way it should. It's not really elastic like it should be. So it causes my joints and stuff to dislocate pretty often. And luckily, I'm really thankful because some people have it way worse. I, I'm lucky in the sense that I can, I'm still able to be active and I'm still able to do things virtually pain-free for the most part. But it has gotten worse as I've gotten older and there are certain activities that I can't really do anymore. I kind of constantly have to adjust like what my body is able to do. And it used to really frustrate me. Like I was able to do this a year ago. Why can't I do this anymore? But I've come to a place where this is what it is. This is my body. And I just need to be constantly evolving with my body and just constantly showing my body grace because it can still do so much. And I should just be thankful and focused on what it can do versus what it can't. And then on top of that, my husband and I have decided to start the discussion of having kids in our somewhat near future. For a long time, I was very scared of that because your body changes so much and your eating habits change while you're pregnant. And for the longest time, I told myself that I wasn't ever going to have any kids because I just did not want to handle that. But within the last two years, I really came to a place where I was like, I feel strong enough to be able to handle this. And I want to have kids and whatever happens with my body is what's going to happen. It's growing a human being and it's going to change and that's okay. Like it's still a beautiful thing. So I've kind of started to prepare myself for future changes. And obviously I won't know exactly what it's going to be like until I get there. But I know that whatever it is, I'm going to be able to handle it just fine. Also, if I ever get to a place where I start struggling again, then I know that I need to reach out for help right away instead of letting it get bad. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds I, I love your plan. I fully support that. <laughs> but uh, it makes me think of one of our one of our last questions. What I'm um, what advice would you give to somebody struggling to decide whether or not to, to get treatment? I mean, that's a, that's a, it's a tricky time. So if you had a minute to talk to somebody who was trying to decide and pacing back and forth, trying to decide if they should pick up the phone or not, what advice would you give them about whether or not they should get help? I would tell them that they just need to go for it, that it's scary, but they just really need to reach out for that help. You're always going to find a reason to keep you from getting help. You're always going to say, oh, it's not the right time or, oh, I don't have enough money or whatever your excuse may be. Take that leap of faith and just go for it. If you're struggling with an eating disorder, it really does steal your whole life from you. And nobody deserves to live a life imprisoned to an eating disorder because that really is what it is. One thing that really stuck out to me that pushed me to take that leap of faith was somebody told me that like your options are basically for choosing choosing recovery or choosing death. Even if you don't physically die, you're basically living your life in prison. So it's kind of like an emotional, spiritual death. So when I thought about it that way, I was like, if I think about the rest of my life, do I really want to have an eating disorder for the rest of my life and be stuck to this thing that's like stealing so much? And the answer was no, I don't want to do that. So I just had to jump out of my comfort zone and be like, okay, I'm going to get help. I need to get help now before I think of an excuse. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 
That's well, well said. I, I like that, that idea of sort of choosing recovery. I, I always say, you know, nobody chooses to get an eating disorder, but recovery definitely involves a choice that recovery will be better than the prison of the eating disorder. And it absolutely will be, which is one of my one of my last questions, why is recovery worth it to you? That's that's another big question. <laughs> uh, recovery is worth it in every single way to me. Every single aspect of my life would not be the same if I had chosen to keep going down the path of an eating disorder. Like recovery to me is finally like living life in every single way. Like having that, having gone through recovery and everything, honestly, Everything in life seemed brighter and more joyful after I got out on the other side. Like I just look back on that time and everything just seemed dark, like life had no color. And now it's like everything is bright and joyful and I can go out and do things and I can feel freedom. It's just like every aspect of my life is a hundred times better now that I'm on the other side of recovery. Yeah, it's a, a beautiful image. It really is. It reminds me, I remember a, a piece of artwork that, that somebody drew here at the Emily program that was really that kind of directive, like draw what recovery feels like. And it was this, on one side of the paper, it was this sort of dark and cloudy and stormy and chaotic and really uncomfortable looking place. And as you moved across the page, it got a little bit less gray and a little bit of color and a little bit less gray and a little bit of color. And when you got to the right side of the page, it was this beautiful blooming flower garden that was just so full of life and joy and hope. And, and I always remember the, the image of that picture just sort of seared in my mind of, yeah, that's how, that's how it feels. Like it'll be better. It will yeah. definitely be better. It's so hard in the moment of recovery. Like I feel like before my recovery, everything just felt really dark and depressed and gloomy. And then during my recovery, it felt like everything was on fire. Like it felt like everything was out of my control. It felt like all of my emotions were burning a hundred times stronger than I'd ever felt in my life because it was almost like my emotions had shut down for that period of time that I was really struggling. And so it was almost just like everything in my body was constantly like burning. Like I just had so much emotion that I didn't know how to handle. And I just had all this fear that I didn't know how to handle. But then as soon as I got out on the other side, it was just like absolutely beautiful in every single way. That's just beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us, Olivia. Yeah, thank you for letting me share it. Absolutely. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you'd like to learn more about the EMILY program and what we do, visit emilyprogram.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at EMILY Program. Peacemeal is produced by Angie Mitchell and Nancy Linden with music by Dan Forkey. Thanks for listening.